Welcome to the With Ingram series of podcasts. I'm Philip Ingram. This is episode 11, and today I'm talking to John Campbell, who's a special counsel with the London-based 36 Group, and we're talking data. Warning, you might actually learn something. John, it's great for you to come on. How are you this fine morning? Um, I'm as well as can be, Philip. And, and where are you in the world? That, that, is, that is not a UK accent. I am at the moment in Surrey, uh, in lockdown, um, having arrived from Johannesburg in early March to start practice at the 36 Group. Johannesburg to Surrey, that's that's an, uh, an interesting move. Um, Surrey's not too bad, uh, but Surrey and lockdown could be interesting, especially if you're not used to what there is in the area. Um, lockdown has its limitations. Uh, yes, I think that is an understatement. Um, <laughs> Uh, some people say it's got its advantages, but I've yet to find any. No. So t- 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 today we're going to talk about some of the uh, the, the privacy issues and, and around the U- UK law and looking at um, what might be being affected by uh, the, the, the the current COVID nineteen crisis. Um, but you can can you give us an overview from your perspective of of what UK privacy law is at the moment? Sure. You know, it comes from an odd place. Um, Traditionally, there has not been a privacy law in the UK, but over a period of about 20 years, there were developments of the law protecting confidential information um, into something approximating a privacy law pertaining to private information. In other words, if I acquire information um, about you, let's say, that you would regard as private, then I would not be able to share that information or print it in the tabloids or things like that. And that's where you see celebrities like Naomi Campbell, for example, uh, being able to go to court and to obtain some redress. It doesn't go much further than that. There have been some situations where celebrities have been photographed. I'm thinking particularly of um, JK Rowling and her children and Paul Weller and his children, mm-hmm. where they've been photographed in public places and publication of those photographs has been held to infringe their privacy rights. So the mere fact that you're in a public street doesn't mean that you are fair game for the paparazzi. And then I think that there are also certain um, restrictions on what the government can do. Uh, but that is very undeveloped in this country. Uh, because the Human Rights Act hasn't been invoked much. You find more of that in a place like the United States, yep. where there is a very strong constitution and privacy is protected in, under, the, under the constitution. Um, so the UK is reasonably protecting private information. The rest, um, pretty undeveloped. Okay. But you know, the, the UK, we, we keep talking about the UK. Um, a lot of the privacy laws um, are... Um, in England and Wales are enhanced by the Protection of Freedoms Act, um, but that's not applicable in Scotland and Northern Ireland. Um, do you see the not-so-good privacy laws, as, as you've outlined, diverging um, between the four uh, constituent parts of the United Kingdom? Well, Scotland, of course, doesn't have the common law. Um, it has a form of Roman law, really. One would okay. call it Roman Scottish law. Um, I certainly know that they have become interested in privacy issues that would form part of their law of persons. Their law follows a Roman categorization. Um, so in that way, it diverges from the, from the common law. And I would think that they would protect privacy uh, as part of the law of persons. Law of persons would also 
um, engage things like assault and defamation, libel in this country, we call it. Um, so I think that's where Scotland will go. Okay, um, <laughs> that, that, that's not a problem. So, so Scotland, but um, uh, again, Northern Ireland is different. It doesn't seem to be that there is an overarching um, uh, UK legal framework that, that is being applied consistently across across the board. But I don't know what the position in Northern Ireland is. Of course, they have um, a different defamation law. I do know that. Uh, but the common law, which we call the law of England and Wales in this country, uh, is what I can talk about. Um, and we're, we're getting a lot of privacy issues are starting to come up at the moment with the uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic that we're suffering um, as we speak. Uh, and amongst those issues are the government's desire to bring in um, the, the test, track and trace piece that uh, the health secretary brought out yesterday in his number 10 uh, briefing to the press. Now, whenever we're into tracking and tracing, we're in the danger area of infringing on people's privacy, are we not? Um, completely. Uh, in countries with relatively well-developed privacy laws, like South Africa, uh, for example, health status is always private. And there have been a couple of cases in South Africa where GPs and uh, journalists have disclosed the health status of individuals. And uh, that is always an invasion of privacy. So tracking and tracing would involve invasions of privacy at a number of different levels. If, for example, one remotely determined COVID-19 status, uh, the way it's suggested you can do by heat, uh, photographs, things like that, all of those are invasions of privacy. Again, the tracing, every single, the tracing is done in a place like South Korea. I think initially by means of a test, and then you look at mobile phone location data, CCTV data, credit card data, and you track the movements of any person who tests positive. The point of that, of course, is so that you can track and trace anybody they have come into contact with and either isolate them or clear them, as the case may be. Mm -hmm. But all of that is, at every point of the chain, is an invasion of privacy. And there is certainly uh, at least one case in the UK where CCV uh, recorded ultimately failed attempted suicide. And the images, the publication of the, of the images were held to constitute uh, a breach of that person's privacy. So one can easily see that all of this can involve invasions of privacy. Now, there are two ways of getting around that. One is consent. So if I consent to a test... Yep. Um, then there would be no issue. Um, if I didn't consent and I was forcibly tested, that would be both an invasion of privacy and, I think in this country, a battery, um, a form of assault. Okay. Um, and equally, I can consent to having my movements monitored. And I think probably a lot of people will do this. I know that there's a tremendous uh, controversy in Australia at the moment with lots of politicians saying that they will refuse to sign up for an app which is available, mobile phone app. Yes, ha ha having, having agreed it in the Australian Parliament and said yes. this should be rolled out across the country, the very people who agreed it have turned around yes. and said, oh, we're not signing up for that. Yes. <laughs> the other um, escape route is all privacy laws have a pressure valve, uh -huh. and that's called the public interest. And any invasion of privacy with this disclosure of information or um, something more intrusive to the person can be justified if there's a pressing public interest. I'll give you an example. In the US, the police used therm thermal imaging to detect the existence of a marijuana factory in a private home. Uh -huh. And the court said, well, that's an intrusion in the home. You can't use that evidence. 
Now, they, of course, have very, very strong constitutional protections and a very, very strong sense of criminal procedure. And not sure that that would be the same result in many other countries, but it does serve as an example of intrusion being perhaps unlawful. What I suspect would be done in the UK and would certainly be done in South Africa at the moment is they would point to the pressing public interest and say we really have no option but to do this kind of, of checking, testing and tracing. Uh, and I suspect that most judges would, would agree with that. Mm-hmm. But do you think that the, the great British public are actually really concerned about this at all? Because we have got one of the highest um, concentrations of CCTV cameras capturing people's uh, images uh, of virtually any country in the world um, outside China and, and possibly Russia. Um, and if you look at the modern smartphone, all of the apps that are on there, how many of those turn around as people are installing them and say, are you happy that I, we, we track your location? And, and most people just click, yeah, um, and, and, and don't think anything about it. Uh, do, do you think that the privacy proponents uh, that are out there are being overly sensitive on behalf of, of the great British public who don't really care? I'm not sure. You know, South Korea, the voluntary take-up of submission to a testing was only about 20%. They are held up as being one of the most successful countries in combating COVID-19. But a substantial number of people didn't actually sign up. So I suppose the answer to that is one doesn't know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, the privacy issues are raised, though. Yeah. Um, And the privacy is something that... um people seem to hang an awful lot of political kudos on. Do you think that the government is is probably going to have to bring in additional emergency legislation to try and cover what they're going to do with the test track and trace uh, as part of the pandemic? Or do you think that the current laws are sufficient um, for them to uh, get a workaround? I would think that they're probably sufficient. Uh, I can equally understand that a government wouldn't want to be distracted by um, powers of litigation from... Um, people saying, I don't want you to know who I had lunch with or who I saw, or even that I did have lunch with somebody yesterday. And the way around that would be to legislate. But that wouldn't be uncontroversial because the legislation itself would be authorizing very large-scale invasions of privacy. They might be reluctant to do that. Yeah, so where, where might English privacy law go, do you think? I suspect that the issues thrown up by COVID-19 are going to accelerate um, a scrutiny, a general scrutiny, Um, because there are bound to be some cases that involve surveillance um, and uh, uh, tracing that is going to lead to some sort of litigation. And that will mean the creation of precedents around those sorts of intrusions that don't really exist in any schematic form at the moment. Okay. We've got a number of surveillance commissioners that um, you know, the one for uh, CCTV, the Surveillance Camera Commissioner, was appointed under the, um, the Protection Freedoms Act. Um, and, and there are other surveillance commissioners that are there to monitor what the government is doing. Um, can you see uh, the uh, uh, monitoring uh, of people's health status and connections and all the rest of it coming under the remit of the different commissioners to give uh, that sort of independent oversight? Is this something that would, would give confidence to people out there that their personal data is not actually being abused by the government? It may well do. Um, but, you know, I would warn that the organisation that used to be called the Privacy Commissioners, it's really um, an international organisation uh, with the data protection uh, head in every country sitting on it, And they very early on in this pandemic 
said that they thought that the use of data would not be a breach of data protection rules because of the public interest element. Okay, but there's a very fine line between what data is needed from a public interest perspective and what data can be collected and used for other reasons. Um, and if the checks and balances aren't in place, are there not real risks for the general population out there? There are always real risks. Um, you know, that that is the objection to the collection of data. Every authority will always say, oh, well, when it's all over, we'll destroy it, we'll anonymize it, and we'll do this, that, and the next thing to it. But the fear is that that won't happen, um, and that it exists somewhere in the ether for someone to access at some point. And, um, you know, we all have elements of our lives that we prefer not to be generally known. Yeah, and the data has to be stored somewhere. Uh, and given the developing, uh, increasing, changing cyber threat environment, especially whenever there are um, nation states involved who can throw ultimate resources at it, there's a real danger that that data could be taken away and used for other nefarious purposes at some stage in the future. Absolutely. And, you know, even if it's simply used to embarrass people. I mean, that is something that uh, I think individuals are entitled to say, I don't want to be subjected to that. Well, that's you know, that's interesting because you know, I'm a former intelligence officer and um, one of the methods of recruiting people uh, is to get what the Russians call compromat on them. Uh, and <laughs> therefore, you, if, if you've got data being collected through an app, um, let's hope the app designers are not um, from China or Russia or Ukraine or somewhere else where they can get them done quickly and cheaply, um, because um, they will target people that uh, they've got little files on in Moscow or Beijing or elsewhere. And that very data could be used to compromise. Um, so there's, there's a real danger for uh, national security here? Uh, I, I would have thought so. Uh, it, it's always the case, and I think it's it's probably as old as um, a human conflict, is the use of information to compromise individuals, to pressure individuals and things like that. Yes, certainly so, would. So if, if people are concerned about what's going to happen to their data, and um, especially with this new app that's coming in, where can they go to get advice? What, what do you think they should be doing at the moment? Uh, I suspect that one of the first ports of call should be their MP to have it properly explained to them. It's, I think, a little bit unrealistic to expect um, every individual in the street that I live in to contact his or her solicitor. But there will be, I imagine, organizations like Amnesty International um, that will probably take a position on this. Um, some newspapers will probably take a position on this. And privacy is an aspect, I think, that engages newspapers from the left to the right. You know, I don't think there's... Oh, very much so. <laughs> the newspapers, especially in the UK, uh, yeah. love um, going as close to the line as possible and very often falling over it when it comes to uh, getting uh, through people's privacy. Yeah. So I, I, I suspect that, that, that if there is widespread um, testing and tracing, that there's going to be a public controversy and you're going to be reading about it in your newspaper and you can raise it with your member of parliament. And there is always, of course, then your solicitor if you think that you have been singled out. But as I say, I can't see the average neighborhood inhabitant um, rushing off to solicitor about this. 
it needs to become, I think, dangerous to the individual. They need to sense that publication is imminent or use is imminent before they'll do that. But do you think that the organisations that are collecting and utilising the data, um, so it's it's not quite clear yet who these teams are going to be. Um, they're clearly going to be controlled by the government, but which government department is not clear. Do you think that the government is going to need to get specialist legal advice or are they happy enough with... Uh, I, I presume they're happy enough with their own, their own internal advisors that are going on. Should any groups of people, rather than individuals, be seeking legal advice around this just to make sure that uh, they or the people that they're responsible for are uh, are, are properly protected? Yeah, I'm sure the government do take legal advice. I'm sure they do. And you know, government law officers will be involved in any legislation or, or initiative. I've got no doubt about that. So where do you see... Um, uh, your profession fitting into this, um, if at all, because if it, it it sounds as if it's fairly well covered. You know, the typically in instances of libel and privacy, it's celebrities because they have the resources um, to take on, for example, a major national newspaper or the government or or, or whatever. But I have little doubt that there will be a call for and a need for advice, uh, for example, in this podcast, and people will write blogs, things like that. And there will also be public interest litigation. There will be public interest bodies that yep. will take a test case. And that undoubtedly will engage both the solicitors and the bar. And, and if any of those bodies wanted to get hold of you, they get uh, hold of you through the clerks at the 36 group. And I will put um, the contact details for them in the blurb at the, at the bottom of this podcast. John, it's been a real pleasure talking to you this morning um, and and fascinating. And I I think we haven't heard the end of uh, the data arguments. Thank you very much, Philip. 